stand one last time in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. And let's read together verse 1 and verse 2 of the 42nd Psalm. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Let's pray. Father, this morning we are grateful for the opportunity to come and worship You. And Father, our heart's desire is that we may worship You in spirit and in truth. God, that we're not merely going through motions to discharge some religious duty, but Father, we are here to worship You and You alone. I ask this morning, God, that You would anoint me now to preach with the unction of heaven in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God, as nothing more than Your messenger, I pray, God, that You'd move here this morning in our hearts and, God, that You'd anoint our ears and our eyes to hear, to see, our hearts to understand. God, I pray that if there be any here this morning that have yet to know You in the true free pardon of sin, any here this morning who have still yet not repented of their sins, that today would be the day they repent of their own ways and turn to the living God. Lord, You would save them. We just simply ask God above all that You are glorified, that Your name is lifted up, and we ask You, God, to glorify Yourself. Show us Yourself. Show us your glory this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This particular passage has always brought some level of curiosity to me personally. I remember when I very first got saved, I went and worked a youth camp about five to six months after I was saved. And I uh, was just really kind of invited along to be a, uh, you know, watch over some of the younger kids and, and be a uh, guide. Uh, but I remember, it's the first time I ever heard that song, As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs after thee. If you've been in church any length of time, you've probably heard it at least a time or two. And even then, it was an interesting passage to me. The idea of the soul thirsting for God as the deer thirst for the waters. For several years, I've kind of thought on it a little bit. And over the last three, four, five months, I've really been examining this passage. Did some studying on deer. And while my study on deer did not turn up as fruitful as what I had hoped and anticipated, my study on the passage certainly outdid everything that I ever could have asked or imagined in my study of it. And this morning, I want to share with you some of the things that I think are important to us concerning how it is that our soul longing for God relates to a deer panting for the water. First this morning, let's just examine the statement as the deer. What is it that makes a deer go to the water? Well, obviously the first answer and the most general answer is the word thirst. 
The concept of thirst is used in Scripture multiple times. I don't know how many times, I haven't counted, but it is used over and over again to describe both the physical and spiritual thirst of mankind. The word thirst, it deals with two basic ideas. First of all, it deals with appetite, longing, the desire to quench one's thirst. But not only does that word thirst deal with the natural need for our thirst to be quenched, it also deals with the idea in the Bible, it carries with it the idea of a state of dryness where there is a need for liquid to quench the thirst, to refresh and to be protected from the life threatening problems of drought and dehydration. You know, we have been through one of the worst droughts in this local area that I can remember in my 31 years of living here. And I've lived here my whole life. I think we had over 30 consecutive days where it was over 100 degrees. Uh, One of those days it hit 112. Several of the days It hit over 105, and the heat index was at least well over 105 for about half of them. It was just tragic. And about two weeks ago, I was on my way down to uh, basically Peck, Kansas, for my father-in-law's birthday, and we drove past literally the most pathetic harvest of corn I have ever seen in my life. And I said to my wife, uh, she's downstairs, she could verify this, But I asked her, I said, do you have your camera on you? Because she did not. I was going to pull back around and stop the car and get out and take a picture of this corn. I've never seen, I've never even seen a picture painted of corn so dead. It was bright yellow from the front to the end as far as the eye could see. And even then, this sermon that I'm preaching this morning about thirst, God began to show, just speak into my spirit the need, the need for water. And this word thirst, as the deer pants for the water, we see the the idea of thirst. Not only does it deal with the desire to have something quenched within, but it deals with the idea that without the life-giving power of water, soon life itself will cease to exist. Man can go a long time without food, but he can't go very long without water. As the deer pants for the water, let's look at the deer here this morning. The first thing that makes a deer go to the water is thirst. The second thing that will cause a deer to go to the water is heat. Deer do not have the capacity to sweat like we do. And when the temperatures are hot enough, and when the, uh, the circumstances are unfavorable, when a deer has found itself exhausted and it needs to cool down, the first place it will look for is water that it can get into and cool itself. Another reason I found that deer will go to the water is for safety. If a deer is being chased by an enemy, deer, typically speaking, do not like to swim. 
Now, they'll go to a water brook to get a drink, but they're not, uh, they don't like to swim a lot. But one of the few things that will push a deer into the water to swim to the other side is when it's trying to escape its enemy. When it's trying to get away from something that is chasing it and it wants to get rid of that trail, if you will, that the scent that it leaves everywhere it runs. Can I say this morning in just a, a brief statement, thank God that when we're being chased by the enemy, there is a life-giving well that we can go to and plunge into and know that there in my Father's care the devil cannot touch me. A deer will go to the water when it's thirsty. It will go when it's hot. It will go when it needs safety. And interesting enough, it will also go, oftentimes, deer have been um, examined to go to the water when they have been attacked, and specifically, the attack draws blood. Now, there are a couple of theories amongst Dear scientists, if there is such a word, the people I got my statistics from, there are a couple of theories as to why a deer, when it has been wounded and is bleeding, might go to the water. And here are the three main theories. Number one, the idea of replenishing fluids in the body due to the loss of blood. Number two, the possibility to simply cleanse the wound. To make sure that if there's, it's bleeding, it's just, it has the natural instinct that it needs to be cleansed and cleaned off. And the third possibility is that, that the same idea of running for safety and that being to wash away the scent of blood and to wash away the trail of blood that could allow its enemy to track it. Having said all that this morning about the deer, we can see the many reasons that the deer pants for the water brook. I believe that the picture that the psalmist is painting of the deer is much like a picture of all of those things, all of those reasons thrust upon the beast and it having this absolute life-threatening situation where it is thirsty, It is heated from running from the enemy. It is wounded and its life depends upon finding the water brooks. And the, the, the psalmist David, his eyes have been laid upon a deer in this situation. And you can tell by simply looking at it that it needs the water more than anything else. I think that's the picture of the deer this morning. Now, now I want to ask the question. What does that have to do with your soul? What does that picture of a deer thirsting for the water have to do with you and God? The psalmist says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you, O Lord. This morning, as we talk about our thirst for God, let us first examine the object of the soul's desire. It is the living God. My soul pant, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God for the living God. 
Notice that the psalmist does not long for royalty, for wealth, or anything of the sort. But his longing is for one thing and one thing only, and that is the living God. Can I tell you this morning, that's really the only thing your soul longs for, whether you know it or not. The only thing that can quench the desires and the thirst and the quench of your inner man is the living God and the living God alone. Observe that He does not dwell upon the outward worship. If you read further in the text, you find that one of the things that the psalmist, that David is wanting to do is get back to Jerusalem to worship there in the temple. And for some reason, he cannot be there at this state and time. My commentaries disagree on exactly what period of life this was with David and why it was that he could not make it back to the temple. But we do know this. That's where he wanted to be. This morning, I want you to notice he longed for the living God. In other words, going through the simple ceremonies is not enough. His soul does not long that he might see the priest or the pastor. His soul does not long that he might simply hear another sermon. But his soul longs that he sees and once again thirsts for the living God and the living God alone. Can I tell you this morning that you need to learn how to push through the outer courts. The outer courts will not suffice. You must push through into the inner courts where you can grab a hold of God and grab a hold of Him alone. For He alone will quench the thirst of your thirsty soul. We see the object of His desire. It was the living God and nothing short of the living God. Ordinances cannot comfort Him. Going through the motions cannot comfort Him. He must have spiritual life and substance. He does not cry for the priest. He does not beg for the altar. He does not beg for the tabernacle, but for His God and for His God alone. You see, he had learned what many modern professors have not learned. That the outward is nothing and the inward is everything. The outward is nothing. The inward is everything. The Bible even tells us that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. It tells us something about God, it tells us something about man, and it tells us something about ourselves. What it tells us about God is that God is not so impressed with all of our external appearances. God is not so much impressed when we show up and, and, and go through the motions and we put on our nice clothes and we look like we're something if we are not that same thing during the week. That doesn't impress God. Matter of fact, according to the Word of God, God doesn't even look at the outward appearance. It's almost as if the outward appearance does not exist to God. He just sees straight through it into what you really are. Now, that's what it teaches us about God. But what does it teach us about man? That man looks on the outward appearance. Hear me this morning as I preach to you. This is a dangerous trap that we get into. Because man looks on the outward appearance. We generally judge our spiritual state according to man around us. We determine what is holiness by looking at those amongst us 
who seem to live the most righteous of lives. And they become the standard for which we judge ourselves instead of the living God and the living God alone. And not only because man looks on the outward appearance, do we judge ourselves by what other people do and look like. We will judge our own selves according to the outward appearance. So long as I can seem holy, so long as I can live in such a manner that you are convinced I'm a holy man, somehow, some way, it seems that, that I find comfort in that thing and I find acceptance in that thing and I feel satisfied with where I am because you are satisfied with where I am. It's a very, very dangerous trap to be in. Because the God that we serve, the living God, the God before whom each and every one of us will stand, the God before whom one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, that God doesn't even look at the outward appearance, but He looks at the heart. Now talking about the heart, the thing that matters, your soul, the inward man, the only thing that can soothe your soul, the only thing your soul really thirsts for is the living God. Oh, brothers and sisters, how often do we spend our lives trying to take care of the external? Trying to build our earthly kingdom instead of working on His heavenly kingdom. Concerned about our temporary, external needs with very little concern for the internal needs of the soul. And the psalmist looks at the deer panting for its life, longing for water, knowing that if it doesn't soon indeed find a water brook, that danger, deathly danger lies ahead of it. And he says, that is how my soul longs for the living God. This morning, does your soul really long for God in such a manner? What is it that you're hungry for? We see that there was in His life and at the core of His being a vacuum that only God could fill. A thirst that only God could quench. And a hunger that only God could satisfy. All that is the, the basic nuts and bolts of the Gospel message. That God is the answer to all of your problems. That Jesus Christ, He's the way. He is the life. He is the truth. Those are the three main things we want to know. Which way should I go? Where can I find life? And what is truth? And Jesus says, I stand on the absolute authority that I and I alone am the way, the life, and the truth. Man wanders aimlessly trying to satisfy the longings of his soul. I did it for many years. Trying to do it through acceptance, being accepted by people, popularity. Some do it through seeking after wealth, which actually equals security in their mind. Some do it after seeking relationships, which what they're actually searching for is love. And you find that in all of those things, people fail us. And the search leaves us empty 
over and over and over again because the reality is the only one that can give water that will quench the thirst of our souls is the one that gives the water from heaven and His name is Jesus Christ. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for the living God. The fact that He was aware of this well tells us that He had experienced the quenching of His thirst at some time before. In other words, God had used the afflictions of life to sensitize or to awaken David to his need. God had used the afflictions of His life to sensitize or awaken David to his need. And I tell you, sometimes God lets you get to the place where your thirst seems unbearable. If you're as hard-headed as I was, it takes some of us a while. And God will bring us to that place of dry and barrenness. Hey, sometimes He even does it in the Christian life because as Christians, we can forget where the source of our life comes from and we look to people and we look to things and we look to jobs and we look to families and we look to almost anything but the living God to quench the the, the desire of our souls. And God will take us to places at times where we seem dry and things are thirsty and He takes us there that we might be reminded that nothing but God alone can quench the desires of my soul. This morning I ask you, are you in a dry and barren place? Are you in a place where where it seems like you're thirsty and you're unsatisfied and you're in worry and you're in fear and you're in doubt and the majority of your day is ruled by anxiety and wondering what's going to happen and wondering what tomorrow holds and you have very little peace. Can I tell you this morning, I want to stand and tell you, God alone is the answer. He alone can quench the desires of your soul and none but Him. He is the answer this morning. How well have we faced the reality of this in our own lives? How much have we experienced this thirsting like the deer panting for the water brooks? Or have we become desensitized and calloused, seeking to quench our thirst at the wrong fountain? Seeking to quench our thirst at the wrong fountains. I'm going to just preach on this for a little bit this morning. The wrong fountains. It is a difficult lesson to learn, but the most, one of the most important you'll ever learn is that God alone is a fountain that you must go to for every need in your life. You know what happens as Christians? Uh, what we find ourselves struggling with an area. It might be it might be financial, it might be relational, but and we begin to think of the solution, and it might be a relational aspect. And so you look to a a, a husband or a wife or or a, or a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or anything that falls within the pale of relationships. 
And you think that if you can get that thing, it will somehow quench your thirst and you will somehow find peace and you'll somehow quit going to bed at night worried about life and wondering where you're going only to find out that once you have that thing, the thirst that it quenches is very temporary, very brief, and then it's not long before you find out you're in the same state that you were before because you've been seeking to quench your thirst at the wrong fountain thinking that all the problems in the world must be fixed in order for you to have peace. All the problems in the world will not be fixed. And they were never meant, the solution to problems was never meant to be the source of your peace and the source of your joy. It must be the living God and the living God alone. And any time your thirst is for another fountain, it will never satisfy you long. Jesus told that woman at the well, the water you drink of, you will thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I give, you will never thirst again. I'm telling you, we can become callous. We can become desensitized. And we don't even realize that we're seeking to quench our thirst at the wrong fountain. You know, one of the things that I learned about, I used to uh, work in problem water, I, and I went through a handful of classes and uh, actually studied a lot about water, probably seven or eight years ago. And one of the things that I learned about water and the consumption of water is that we, especially here in America, we don't drink enough water, and that we have that the body actually mistakes the craving for water for hunger. And when the body is wanting water, too many people go and get something to eat. And it causes an overweight problem. And we don't realize we're dehydrated. We think we're hungry, but what we need is water. And I tell you, spiritually speaking, the same thing happens to the Christian. We begin to think that, we sense that there is anxiety. We sense that fear is creeping on. We sense that there's a need in our life. We sense that something needs to be quenched. And rather than running to God and God alone and looking for God alone to quench that desire, that longing of our soul, we try to go eat something. We try to, we try to hand pick something that we think will we'll suppress that desire, that appetite. And we find ourselves unbalanced. We find ourselves constantly thirsty, but not knowing what we're thirsty for. Constantly in need. Constantly in lack. Constantly in a, in a battle that seems that, that we are losing each and every day. Because we have forgotten to go to the waters of life and to look to Him alone to deal with every one of my fears, every one of my worries, every one of my doubts. How well have we faced this reality in our own lives? Have you fallen into a place in your Christianity that you no longer enjoy the services of God's house as you once did? I would tell you this morning to ask the Lord to give you the strong desire of David. David. 
that you may again in spirit and in truth appear before God. Never let the mere coming together satisfy you. We're not coming together for the purpose of coming together. We're coming together for the purpose of meeting with God. And I will say unashamedly this morning that unless we meet with God, unless God shows up, unless the Spirit of the living God moves amongst us, it doesn't do us any good to come together. We need Him and we need Him alone. And without Him, we can do nothing. You know, our Lord said in John chapter 8, Jesus said this of Himself. He said, I can of Myself do nothing. He said, what I hear, that I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Isn't that an amazing statement from the Son of God Himself when He took on the, the clothing of humanity and came in the flesh? He, the Son of God, our Savior, the spotless Lamb of God, the God-man who was 100% man, 100% God. Isn't that an amazing statement that He would say, I can of Myself do nothing. Nothing. Can I tell you, if our Savior couldn't do anything of Himself without the help of the Father, we cannot either. We need Him. More than anything this morning, that's what we need is Him. We need Him to show up. Him to have His way. Him to move in our life. We need God and God alone. Not just some great songs. Not just some great sermon. We need the great God. And when we have the great God and He shows up and the Almighty King of kings and Lord of lords moves in our midst, then things happen. It's Him that we need. Church, how often do we forget it's Him that we need? We look everywhere but for Him. I'm telling you, He's enough. He is enough. He's more than enough. And when He shows up, nothing else matters. He takes care of everything else. Your worries, your fears, your doubts, your thirst, the things you quench for, the love that you desire, the security that you need, you, you name it. He is that. He is the great I Am. Whatever your need is, He is the answer. My soul longs for the living God. Never let the mere coming together satisfy you, but let your panting be like that of the deer after the water brook and nothing else. For God and God alone and nothing short of God. You see, without God, there is no water. There is nothing to quench the core need of one's life. Without God and a life of intimate fellowship with God, our soul becomes like a parched and thirsty land, thirsting for the refreshing waters of an intimate relationship where God is the prime source of life. I know what I'm talking about this morning. I've been doing this now for nearly 12 years. And I can tell you that even in the hustle and bustle of religious duties, and they're not bad religious duties, it is very possible to spend a lifetime serving God and yet spend very little time with God. And in that place, the soul becomes thirsty. 
Because all the service in the world, all the preaching in the world, all of the doing this or doing that in the world will never quench the thirst of your soul. God alone is meant to quench that. Oh, brothers and sisters, we must learn again to spend time before our God. We must learn what it means to go to Him and look to Him. God, You're enough. I don't need things. I don't need this or that relationship. I don't need this much money or that much money. I don't need this house or that house. God, what I really need is You and You alone. And Lord, You are enough. You're enough. God, You will quench my thirst. This morning, do you really believe that? Do you really believe what I'm preaching? Are you still in the confused and wrongful state of mind that you think somehow, some way, the things of this world can satisfy your soul? Because they can't. There's not one. You were created by Him and for Him. The primary reason that you were born, the primary reason you exist, is for God and for God alone. Without God, there's no water. Nothing to quench the core need of one's life. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Here is our Lord's promise. And make no mistake about it. In the Bible, to pursue righteousness is to pursue God. To pursue righteousness is to pursue God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And the person who will do so has been promised never to leave empty. Is righteousness what you hunger for? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, Jesus said, and all these other things will be added unto you. So often we seek God with ulterior motives. It's not really God we want. It's the blessings that He gives. Many people don't want God at all. They're just convinced that God has the power to fix this little area in their life, so they're trying to like trick God. They'll even go through the motions, maybe say a prayer. But really what they're wanting, it's not God that they want. It's this thing they want. I was thinking on this thought last night, and I thought to myself, my kids are still young, but I'm sure there'll come a day when they get old enough and they want to drive. And this this just this picture rolled around in my mind. God tries to give me analogies to help me understand what He's trying to show me. The picture of the father who comes to that place where his children don't really realize how much they need him anymore. They just want him for the things he can give. And they might act nice and they might want this or that. And they, and they might say the right things, but really they just want the keys to the car. And I thought to myself, how will that make me feel if that happens to me? A little bit unwanted. And I'll understand, though they may not, if that ever happens in my life, they need me before they can ever get the car. And they kind of understand that, but it's me that they're looking past. They just want the stuff. You see, that's what happens with our relationship with God a lot. It's an ulterior motive. But the psalmist said, my soul longs for thee, not the things you give. God, you're enough. You're enough, God. 
This morning, let me ask you, does your soul long for anything other than God? Are you that teenager that just wants the keys, but you don't really want your father? Because it's him that we need. And he's the greatest gift that we could ever have. And he offers himself to us, if we will but seek him. The promise is they will be satisfied. In John 7, 37-39, we see the great passage where Jesus stands up and says, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Here the Lord invites us to do two things. Number one, to forsake our self-made cisterns to quench our own thirst. In other words, to turn away from all other routes that we have tried to quench the longing of our souls with. And then secondly, to turn to Him for the quenching of that great thirst that's within the soul of man. We see the object of the desire is the living God. Secondly today, I want to preach to you about the characteristics of that desire. The deer pants, but for what? The answer is obvious. Everybody can see it. It pants for water. Its nostrils are flaring. Its head is lifted up. Its heart is beating. His eyes are rolling. His tongue is thrust out. And anybody that sees this animal can identify immediately that thing wants water. We see without any hesitation the deer knows what it needs. And so too does the writer of this 42nd Psalm. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. Brothers and sisters, it's of great benefit to us when we know what it is that we need. You'll either believe me this morning or you won't. But I promise you, promise you this, if you'll believe what I'm saying, it can revolutionize your life when you're dealing with the thirst of your soul. It does us well to know what we need. We need God. That's what we need. Do you realize it's that simple? It's just God. That's what you need. And your soul will never be satisfied without Him. We see the characteristics of this of the desire. It's this single-minded focus that, that everybody knows what this thing needs. It knows what it needs. This morning is your desire as distinct and direct towards God as the heart of David in this text. You see, the majority of humans can identify and say without any hesitation, I have a need. If I was to ask this morning by a show of hands, how many of you have a need? If not a hundred percent of us, the major majority of us would put a hand held high and say, I have a need. But can you say with absolute single-mindedness that the only thing I need is God? The living God. I don't long for that which others are fascinated with. I do not crave what others are ambitious for. But for my God and for my God alone does my soul thirst. Let others ask for bigger homes, newer cars, 
Let others ask for the barn that is filled with corn. But for You, O God, is enough for me. And for You, O Lord, does my soul long and for You only. This is the one and only all-absorbing longing and hungering of my thirsting spirit that You may find God. You see, the deer longs after nothing but the water. Hunted, weary, panting. It must drink or die. Now, brothers and sisters, if you're going to get a blessing from God, if you're going to grab a hold, if you will, uh, theoretically speaking, of the very God Himself, if your soul is going to be quenched by the living God, you will have to gather up all of your affections, all of your desires, and put them into one affection, one desire that ascends towards your Lord. You will make no conditions. You will make no stipulations with God. Lord, if You will but come, even if You bring the rod, it is enough. I just want You to come. Lord, if You will show up, even if it means that Your Spirit convicts me of some things in my life that need change, God, it is enough. I just need You alone to show up. If You may, but have the company of God, you must be willing to accept poverty or the weary bed of sickness or anything and everything which He may lot to you if you will only but have fellowship with God. It has to become the one and only all-absorbing longing of your soul. The other day, I was out walking and just dealing with this reality. That really all we need is God. I look around, I see the church growing. As a pastor, I think about the need for more space. I think about the need to better reach this community. I think about all the, the needs. Can I confess to you this morning that recently, unaware to me, even though I could tell during those couple of weeks there was kind of some longing in my soul, I wasn't really satisfied. But I was unaware that I had begun to look to the keys, if you will, of the car rather than to God Himself. And that the major majority of my praying and asking God to do something really had to do with God doing something instead of God giving us Himself. And this preacher had to be reminded, you're really all that we need. I'd rather have God show up this morning than a check for $10 million. If you don't believe that, you don't know me very well. You don't. I promise you that as I stand here before God. If I was told I had two options, 
during this one church service. And even if I knew that next week we could go back as we wanted, if somebody told me, I'd give you a check for $10 million, but God's not going to show up this morning, I'd tell him to hit the road. $10 million is nothing compared to God. $10 trillion is nothing compared to God. We need God. Nothing short of God. Nothing more than God. He's the only thing we need. Oh, I hope you get what I'm telling you this morning. I hope you see it. I hope that God right now in the heart of His people is doing some refocusing. Because I know that you are men and women, human beings just like me. And even with the right intentions, even at times praying for things that are important, we find ourselves forgetting that really what we need is God. And that God's enough. That if we have God, God takes care of all the rest. This morning as I begin to close, I want you to ask yourself a few thoughts, Christian. Have you quit seeking for God and God alone? Have you become that teenager that really you just want the keys? And you're willing to do what you have to, to say what you say, and, and, and gain enough respect that just hand them over, hand the keys over. But once you have the keys, you really have what you wanted. It wasn't the Father you wanted at all. Have you forgot that He alone can quench the longings of your soul? You see, in all of this, we see the intensity of the desire. The panting of a thirsty deer is something to see. It appears to thirst all over. Every pore of its body is thirsting. It's evident not only in his thirst, but in the snorting of his nostrils, in the glaring of his eyes. Every part of the creature, in every hair, thirsts and pants. And so it is with the believer when he is without his God. Why is the desire so intense? And I am closing. Because it's the very longing for the water brooks that is as important as the blood that runs through our veins. Without the waters of the brook, the rest of the animal will soon die. And so too is it with the Christian. What am I saying this morning? You have got to see, brother. You have got to see, sister, that living in deep, intimate fellowship with God is not a luxury of the Christian life. It is a necessity of the Christian life. It's not just some luxury that we can choose to grab a hold of and dispense when we think we don't need it. Living in deep, intimate fellowship with God where we desire Him and Him alone, it is a necessity to the Christian life. Because when you long for anything else and you drink at the wrong wells, you'll find that your Christian life soon becomes a dry and weary land. He's enough. He is enough. He alone must be our heart's desire. This morning I want to encourage you to this mighty longing after God. The lack of it. The lack of our soul's 
desperately looking to God alone as our source of strength and life has brought about our present weak state of morality and true faith towards God. The shallowness of our religious lives, generally speaking, in our culture, is a result of our lack of holy desire for God. This morning I want to tell you, there's one difference though between the deer panting for the water brooks and the soul panting for God. And it's a very important difference. And that is the fact that there's no question where water might be found. The deer wonders and it's looking for the place and it might wonder if it will make it long enough to reach the water brooks. But there's no question to that man, that woman, that boy, that child, there is no question that when our souls will go to God, that then and there and immediately there, our Maker will meet us there and He will give us the water that quenches our soul. God will not make us hungry and then refuse us food. God will not make us thirst and then refuse us the water brooks from which to drink from. And remember this this morning, that time is not a thing to be taken into consideration with God. In an instant, He wills it and it's done. In an instant. God has the ability like that to quench your soul. It's not that His brook has run dry. It's not that He's not able and it's not that He's not willing. The question is, are we honestly willing to lay down our understanding and lean fully on the Lord? Trust not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Are you honestly willing to lay all the... His ways are higher than our ways. To lay down your understanding, to lay down your ways, and say, God, You alone are all that I need. And if You'll give me Yourself, God, it will be enough. And again, see, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. God knows if you really mean it or not. God knows if you're really just looking for the keys. He knows. There's no fooling God. And you know too. And I promise you this morning that when we get to the place that we thirst for nothing more than God and we go to Him, time is no thing with God. He wills it and it's done. And immediately in that place, God can refresh your soul and renew the desires of your heart. This morning you might be lost. Can I say this? Don't let the embarrassment of being lost keep you from coming to God. The only person that would be embarrassed would be you. I'll trust you in this place. You've never been around a larger group of people that just love to see people get saved, that will come alongside you and encourage you. You don't have to try to fool us. If you're lost this morning, you need to be saved. You need to quit playing games. Who cares about the outward appearance? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what your husband thinks. It doesn't matter what your wife thinks. What matters is what God thinks. Are you saved? Or are you still trying to 
Fill the longings of your soul from the polluted wells of this world, which only make you sick. This morning, if you're lost, I'm going to encourage you to come here in a moment and give your heart to God. But primarily this morning, my message is to the church. I'm telling you, this sermon was for me. This sermon was for me. God had to remind me in the hustle and bustle of Christian service. Son, what you need is me, not stuff. That's what you need. And if you have me, it doesn't matter if you don't have any of the other stuff, it's enough because I am enough. We're spending so much time asking for the keys and things and start searching for me and being satisfied with me, the Lord spoke to my heart. This morning I pray that brothers and sisters, He's speaking to yours. As our worship team comes, I want to read to you an interesting um, tale. There's an ancient tale from India about a young man who was seeking God. He went to a wise old sage for help. How can I find God? He asked the old man. The old man took him to a nearby river. Out they waded into the deep water. And soon the water was just under their chins. Suddenly, the old man seized the young man by the neck and thrust him under the water. He held the young man down and the young man was flailing in the water for desperation. Another minute and he very well may have drowned. Up out of the water, the two men came. The young man was coughing water from his lungs and still gasping for air. Reaching the bank, he asked the man, what did that have to do with my finding God? The old man asked him quietly, while you were under the water, what did you want more than anything else? The young man thought for a minute and answered, I wanted air. I wanted air more than anything else. The old man replied, When you want God as much as you wanted that air, you will find Him. This morning, God waits to be wanted. God's not playing hide and seek. He's waiting for us to honestly want Him more than anything. Just like air. I've been doing this for 12 years. And I can say it's only a very small portion of God's people that ever really get it. And I said God's people. God's people. Because most of God's people don't really want Him like they want air. They see their need for Him because He has the power to do stuff they can't. But it's not really God they long for. 
But I've watched that small pocket of people that will get a hold of the reality. He's all that I need. Who would rather die than live without God? Who would rather have nothing and yet have God than to have the whole world and be without Him? And I'm telling you, it's those pockets of people that desire God that much that you see living in the victory God wants them to have. They've learned that He alone is all they need. This morning, have you learned that He alone is all that you need? Does your soul long for the living God and Him alone? Because He alone can satisfy. Father, I ask that You'd move all across this room right now as I pray. God, I've said what I, the best I know how to say it. I've said it, God. And now I pray that You've taken the feeble words of my mouth And God, that You'll anoint Him with power. God, I pray that even now, God, that You would till up that stony ground in the heart of people, God, that's keeping the seed from taking root. Lord, that You take the blinders off of our eyes, God, that we can see the fullness of the truth of Scripture. That You alone satisfy the longing of our soul. God, I pray this morning that You'd raise up within men and women brave hearts of courage to say no more satisfying my soul with wells that are not the well of God. And I will look to God alone.